This evening we shall be looking at parts of this first chapter of the book of Joshua that we read for our scripture reading together. Just a few general remarks about the book of Joshua. It is about a new phase, the shift from uh, Moses to Joshua as he took over the leadership of the people of Israel. And in that respect, it has a great deal uh, to say and to teach to us. If I try to summarise the story of the book of Joshua in just a few sentences, it might be something along these lines. There was the entry into the promised land. The people, having had their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, were now to enter into the promised land and they were to take it. They went in under the new leadership of Joshua and they had some initial successes. And then there were problems. There was failure on the part of the children of Israel. And there is the account of the consequences of that failure. And then following the restoration, there is the long and rather more patient struggle to take over the land so that it could then be divided among the tribes. Now, I know that that's a very simplistic overview of the story of the book of Joshua, but it enables us to consider how the book as a whole might be applied. And of course, sometimes the crossing of the Jordan is used as a, a picture of our passage through death into the glories of heaven, the promised land, the land of rest for the children of Israel, picturing the rest that belongs to the people of God as they go through death into the glories of heaven. And that's a very valuable, a very precious picture uh, that we can draw so much from. But it doesn't exhaust the application of the book of Joshua for a number of reasons, because when we get to heaven, there are no battles for us to face. There are no enemies for us to defeat. There's no idolatry to be purged. All of that takes place before we enter the realm of heaven. So precious though that picture is, it's not an entire explanation of the application of the book. Sometimes people take the book of Joshua as a picture of the life of the individual Christian. And that again is very helpful. And there are many, many wonderful applications that can be drawn from that. So our entry into spiritual experience, the tremendous event of a person's conversion, pictured in the crossing of the River Jordan, something that would be impossible were it not for the intervention of God. And then as the person begins their life, their spiritual life and walk, very often the Lord in his kindness gives early successes in the battle against besetting sins. We hear testimonies from time to time, don't we, of those who before their conversion there was a particular sin that was impossible to be eradicated 
It had become so settled in the life of that person. And yet, with conversion, they're given power over that tremendous sin. We hear of some who have been able to dispense with uh, smoking and drinking and other sins and tendencies almost instantaneously following their conversion. But just like the children of Israel, the Christian life and walk very often leads to our self-confidence and perhaps less dependence upon the Lord and we know crushing failures and perhaps uh, are going back to some of those old traits and tendencies. And as we are restored, then begins the long life of struggle and sanctification as day by day we seek to do battle with first one sin tendency and then another as we grow in grace and make progress upon our spiritual walk. But we can apply the book of Joshua also to church life. And there are seasons in the life, the work and ministry of a church where there is a, a new start. It could be with the calling of a new pastor. So like the change from Moses to Joshua, there is a new man that is called and takes on the pastorate. And the Lord in his kindness so very often sends those initial tokens of blessing. But then the long and arduous work begins of uh, that work, uh, that, that church continuing to minister to its local area. Or it may be that the church begins a new ministry, a significant new ministry, something that they weren't engaged in before. And again, the Lord gives initial success. But unless we're looking to him and dependent upon him, we too may know failure. And we may, there may be a reverse. And we have to uh, repent of our sin and come again to the Lord. And then the patient work must continue and go on. But my chief concern this evening is to speak to you about this chapter and help you to see the book of uh, Joshua as a spur to evangelism. The outreach work in particular of the church. And here again, uh, the, the picture is very wonderful. Like the children of Israel, we as the Lord's people are called to occupy enemy territory. We are called to be those who rescue the, the lost, bring them into the kingdom of God. We can think of the kingdom of the, the Lord Jesus Christ as having, as it were, a, a boundary. But we want to expand those boundaries. We want to take territory for our Lord. Well, just as it is uh, with the children of Israel, very often when we're engaged in evangelism, perhaps for the first time, perhaps with a new initiative uh, to reach the lost, the Lord in his kindness sends tokens of blessing. But so often in the church, we become complacent. We become those who maybe are confident in ourselves, perhaps looking to the preacher and their particular strengths in preaching the gospel. 
and or imagining that in some way that we deserve that this blessing that the Lord has sent to us will be continuous and ongoing. And it may be that it, it is for us, like with the children of Israel, that there's an Achan in the camp, someone among the church who grieves away the spirit of God because perhaps a spirit of worldliness, covetousness, carelessness in their spiritual life and walk. We have to deal with these things. And then the work of evangelism becomes just as it was for the children of Israel, that patient, ongoing, persevering work. Well, we're going to be looking particularly at one verse, but let's trace for a moment or two just as a broad sweep of this first chapter uh, in the context of evangelism. Look down to verse 2. The Lord God is now speaking to, to Joshua. Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise. There's a call to action to Joshua. Arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And that call to us to evangelize came, is given in the great commission that the Saviour gave to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel and also at the conclusion of the Gospel of Mark. Pretty much here in this Old Testament book, we have a repetition of that commission. Arise. Stir yourself. Act. Move. This is a very active word that is used here. Arise, says the Lord to, uh, to, to Joshua, and likewise to us in the matter of evangelism. In the work of saving souls, we know that the Lord our God is sovereign. And yet he chooses to use instruments and he calls us to be active in his service in the calling out of the lost and the bringing them in to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to arise, to stir ourselves. You notice here that the Lord God addresses Joshua, the leader, and these initiatives, this stirring of the people to action should come, must come, ought to come, through the leadership of the church. Arise, says the Lord God to Joshua, and all those who are leaders within the church are called by the Lord to be those who take the initiative in stirring the people to evangelism. Do note, please, there's something very important here in verse 2. Arise, go over this Jordan, listen to these words, Thou and all this people. I mention this because this is something that if you are a user of the authorised version, you can trace throughout the Bible. The authorised version translators very carefully chose when they used the word thee and thou for people. And here the word thou is used 
look on to verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. And there's a significance here. The always refers to an individual. You and your always refers to a collective group. In verse 2, uh, Joshua is told, thou, that is you as a particular individual, and all this people unto the land. But then verse 3, we'll look at that in a little bit of detail in a while, speaks of the activity of all of the people of God, them as a collection. Look on to verse 5. And you'll see that it reverts to thee and thou. Because here Joshua in particular, as the leader again is being addressed, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, thee, thy, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And the important thing here is that this work of evangelism it should be initiated by the leadership, but should involve all of the people of God. And that's a vital principle that we'll see expanded just a little as we go on. But then come to verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now this is the sort of verse that very often we uh, skirt over very quickly. But it must be important what's written here, because this isn't the only time in the word of God that these words are used. The Lord says to Joshua that he had said these things to Moses, and indeed he had. In Deuteronomy and chapter 11 and verse 24, every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread, shall be yours. And later in the book of Joshua, Caleb, in speaking to Joshua in Joshua chapter 14, he rehearses to Joshua, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. That was a promise that was taken by Caleb very personally to himself. And there are other passages that go on to speak about uh, going through the land. We can go all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 13 from verses 14 to 18, the great promise to Abraham that uh, in him and in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And in verse 17 of Genesis 13, he is told, arise, walk through the land, in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So this isn't some verse that ought to be uh, quietly ignored. This is a verse that is of immense significance. But just for a moment, look on. And I will come back to this verse because I want to go through uh, the entire chapter, highlighting a few principles before we finish with verse 3. Look on. Uh, into, um, I beg your pardon, I, I need to consult my, my list here 
uh, of, of texts. Well, come down uh, immediately to verse 7. Be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, listen to this, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest, where they went, that they would prosper wherever they went. That's repeated again in verse 8 towards the end. That for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The, the way in which they were to go seems to be significant here. The answer of the tribe of tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh in verse 16, and they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. And listen whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. They had taken on board this idea that they were to go into the land, that they were to tread the ground, that they were to go and they were to take it. Well, as I say, we'll return to that verse in a moment. But look on to verse 4, to the extensiveness of the promise of the land that was available to them. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. Well, when you get home, take out your Bible and look at the maps in the back, and trace the massive extent of that tract of land that was promised to jo Joshua and to the people of Israel as they're stirred to action here. It, it's an incredible amount of land. And they never really got close to annexing all of it. The nearest they got perhaps would have been in the time of King Solomon, when the extent of the kingdom was at its greatest, but it never reached those boundaries. It never quite filled up all of the space that was promised to the people. Well, how can we take that? We know, don't we, that the Lord has his elect. He has those upon whom he has set his love, who he will save and bring to salvation. To those people of Israel, that the promise made of the amount of land available to them seemed almost infinite. They couldn't see from one end to the other. It was impossible that they could take in the extent of the land that was available to them. It was a finite amount, but to them it seemed almost infinite. And so it is for us. In the work of evangelism, we know that the Lord has those upon whom he has set his love. To us, we know that it is that number that he alone knows. But from our perspective, it's an infinite number. And to us, as we bring the gospel to our community, we bring it to all and any, trusting that the Lord will bless our efforts and bring those upon whom he has set his love to salvation. Now, the Lord has set you here, in this place, in this town. Surely, surely, 
as we prayed, surely you believe that surrounding this place there are some, perhaps many, upon whom the Lord has set his love. That in eternity past, he saw them, chose them, and the Saviour has suffered and died for them. If you don't believe that, sorry to put it in this way, but what are you doing here? Why are we here? If it isn't to reach those upon whom the Lord has set his love. But do we burn with desire and concern for the lost? Is it the thing that motivates us? We come out to worship. But are we concerned that the borders of the Saviour's kingdom should be expanded this Lord's Day? Next Lord's Day and every Lord's Day that subsequently follows. This should be our great desire. This should be our great hope. We're not just a little holy club that meet together and enjoy one another's company. We're under orders from our heavenly master to arise, to go over Jordan and to take land, to rescue lost and needy sinners for his namesake and for his glory. Well, it's quite challenging. And then we're told here in verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. For speed, let me summarise that in this way. There is no one too bad to be saved. There is none that we should ever write off as beyond the power of our God to bring them, to humble them, to convict them and to show them their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. While anyone is alive, there is hope. And so we're called to be strong and to be very courageous. And that's something that as uh, naturally we lack. We lack courage to bring the gospel. This week, as you go out into Monday, Tuesday and so on, the days of this week, will you seek with the Lord's help to have that strength of conviction, that strength of love for the Saviour, that strength of character to overcome your natural shyness and the courage that's spoken of here to speak a word for the Lord Jesus Christ in the supermarket queue, in where you work, a chance encounter perhaps on the doorstep with someone would you put in a word for the Saviour and speak for him? Because none are so far away from the Lord. And if you want proof of that, just remind yourself of your own testimony and how far you were from the Lord before he dealt with you. Well, come down then to verse 7 and 8. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then 
thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The principle taught here, again a very simple one, is that this work of evangelism must be done according to the prescription and warrant of the word of God. We simply will not adopt methods, worldly methods of communication. We simply will not bring into the church compromise in terms of the manner in which the gospel is proclaimed in an effort to uh, make it palatable to lost people, to bring them in and to hoodwink them to come into a place of worship. We seek, above all, to be faithful to the word of God. That's our great calling. You'll notice here that this is in the thee and thou, because this is principally the responsibility of the leadership of the church. Of course, we all have a part to play here, to pray for those who minister, to uphold them before the Lord. Theirs is the responsibility to be absolutely faithful to the teaching of the word of God and to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise, without watering down at all. But we seek to do the work of evangelism using the principles and the methods that are given to us in the word of God. Look at verse 9. Oh, such an encouragement. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. In this work of taking the land, this was an assurance to the children of Israel, to us. It's a wonderful assurance. When I go out onto the streets, to talk to people, if I go out onto the street to give out tracts, if I knock on the doors seeking to invite people into services, I might suffer rejection. I might know a measure of hostility and hatred. That's true. But this verse then becomes so special to me. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. I'm not doing this work. For myself, neither am I doing it alone. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. He is with us in this great work. And then in verse, uh, verses 12 towards the end, there's a little principle that we can learn here. You know that the tribe of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh having taken land to the east of the river Jordan, spoke to Moses and said, can we settle here? And they were given permission to do so. But here, they're told, no, uh, before you can take that full possession of your peaceful rest, you must join your fellow brothers and sisters in the taking of the land. And when they have rest, when the land is taken, then you can return to your rest. Well, you know, that's the great tendency that is among us. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to trust him. I know peace. I have assurance that I am his and that he is mine and that I'm on that high road to heaven. I can then sit back. I can enjoy 
the blessings of Christian experience. I, I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll, I'll uh, come to church on Sunday. I, I, I'll do all of those things, but I don't want to take the hardship of being a foot soldier in the work of reaching the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're warned here. And the, we, you see the ready response of those tribes. They're reminded of their obligation. No, there are others. There's land still to be won. For us, we might say, there are others to be won for the Saviour. My rest is not here. My rest is in heaven. When all those who have been brought to salvation are safely gathered in, and while the Lord gives me breath, while he keeps me here, my great aim is to bear testimony for him to all around me as far as I possibly can. But let's, in closing, just return for a moment or two to verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. I've mentioned to you that it's repeated in a number of places within scripture. What does it mean? Does it mean that they simply had to walk into a place and it would be theirs? Well, in one sense, yes. Does that mean, therefore, as Christian believers, if all we do is walk around a place that we can kind of claim it, as it were, for the Lord our God? No, not that at all. But there is something very precious here. The nearest I can get to try to give you a sense of what's intended here is to remind you of something that I've seen. I'm no expert on gardening programs. When a piece of land has been dug over and then perhaps it's raked and you've got it pretty much flat and you sow the seed and then you firm the soil and you see the gardener with little dolly steps feet next to each other and then moving along, firming up the ground, treading upon every particle, as it were, of that area to make it firm. That's what's in mind here. It's, it's a picture of involvement. It's a picture uh, that is so helpful to us. It's a picture of patience. It's a reminder to us of a number of things. It's a reminder to us that sinners are saved one by one as individuals. That's the way we came and that's the way everyone else must come. Indeed, we can draw encouragement by reflecting for a moment on the work of the Saviour for us on the cross. How do you imagine the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung there? Do you think of uh, him hanging there upon the cross and the God the Father put upon him the guilt of human sin and then, as it were, in a tidal wave of wrath, punished the Son in place of those who would be saved. Well, the picture is somewhat faulty because the Bible is clear that when the Lord Jesus Christ hung there upon the cross, he suffered the pangs feelingfully for each and every one who would be saved. 
and for each and every sin that they committed. You, if you were a Christian believer, were in his heart and upon his mind. We can't take in how within those short hours, so many countless thousands, millions of Christian believers, those who would be saved, he could feelingfully suffer an eternity of woe for. But that's the truth. And we're reminded here that sinners must be brought in one by one. It, it tells us here also, uh, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, that we must uh, be those who are committed to this work. We must be those who are prepared to give time and attention to people. I'm not talking here about social evangelism, but I'm talking about the, the way that we interact with people. And I, it's an unfortunate trait, but I, it's a trait nevertheless that we see from time to time. Christian believers can take a very detached view of human society. And we can somewhat withdraw ourselves from involvement with those who are outside the kingdom of God. And what we're being taught here is that that's wrong. We must involve ourselves with people. We must listen to them and be prepared to speak to them, to hear their situations, to begin to understand their circumstances so that we can then begin to pray for them and be concerned for them. We need to be those who uh, commit to being known as Christians so that when people see our reaction to different circumstances, they perhaps will ask questions of us. We must tread the ground. We must be those who take uh, responsibility by praying for the lost. I'm sure there are many for whom you pray for their salvation. I won't ask, but I'm pretty sure because I know this is true of me, and I've heard of this from others too, that the vast majority on that prayer list for conversion are members of my own family. And that's precious. That's wonderful. Never relinquish your efforts in prayer for loved ones. That's vital. But we must have room. We must tread the ground. We must be ready to pray for others too. I have a little habit. I can't say that it comes from the Bible, but it's very helpful to me. I always try to have on my prayer list for conversion two people who I know I can have no personal influence over. I don't mean random people. I mean people that are perhaps in my circle, but I, don't, I can't really foresee any opportunity that I might have to interact with them and to speak with them. But I pray for them and long for their salvation. I try to keep them at the forefront of my prayers and pray for them. And I have seen a number among those who have been converted over the years so that I can give all the praise and all the glory to God. 
but it's a wonderful thing to do. Have you got someone on your heart, on your mind? Will you tread the ground and pray for them and pray for them fervently and regularly until you see that transformation that takes place in their lives? And then as a church, treading the ground, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel week by week. Preach the gospel. That must be at the forefront of everything. Do you have a service that you call pretty much your gospel service? So that you can invite people along. If I invite them along to the morning service, I know that they'll hear the gospel. I know that what Jesus Christ did upon the cross will be explained to them. I know that the arguments, the appeals of the Saviour will be brought to bear to the different types and conditions of human experience, the different kinds of sinners. As a church, have you told your visiting preachers to preach the gospel at least once every Lord's Day? That's treading the ground. Tread the ground. Ensure that the gospel is being preached and then make great efforts to reach the people in your collective endeavours. Oh, so often it can seem uh, without any profit to distribute calendars and tracts and invitations, but never cease, never stop, continue to tread the ground, water the ground with your prayers, and the Lord will hear and he will wonderfully bless Think about efforts to make the different groups of people. I know you have a women's meeting, but do you have or do you have thoughts of starting other types of meetings to reach other types of people? There are so many. And as churches, we need to tread the ground by seeking to initiate those things that can reach as many people as possible. You know, these are Days, we call them days, don't we, of small things. But the Lord's power is no different than it was then. The Lord brought them into the land. The Lord enabled them to see wonderful blessings and success. Who knows? But a new initiative to preach the gospel, to reach the lost. The Lord may not own and bless in a remarkable way, but... Beware of Achan, either an individual or a tendency to relax our total dependence upon the Lord or upon the methods that he has given to us and then settle to the long, patient, often arduous work of calling out the lost and bringing them into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to him. We depend upon him but we seek to arise to go over that Jordan to push away the barriers that might be in the way commit ourselves to this great task perseveringly looking to him for great and mighty blessing may the Lord bless us in our work of evangelism let's pray our gracious God and loving heavenly father how we thank thee that 
Though thou hast great power, almighty power to save, and dost not need us at all, that thou hast chosen to use us as instruments in thy service. O Lord, galvanise us, we pray. And if we have fallen short in this desire to bring in the lost, we pray that we may rekindle that love for the Saviour and for his people, and that this place may continue to be and increasingly become a place where sinners turn in to find the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this evening is the hymn 462. Hymn 462. Lord of the living harvest that whitens o'er the plain.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and for evermore. Amen. <laughs>